Hello. Today I'm talking to Charlie Adcock of the company Event Horizon. Event Horizon are explosives experts who not only work with the military, but they also work on huge feature films supplying the explosions for the special effects side of things. Now, talking to Charlie before we started the recording, I found out at an early age he was passionate about blowing things up so much so that his father bought him a tiny little bit of potassium nitrate and with this Charlie was able to do very measured explosions and of course fireworks was by far his favourite day or night I should say of the year. Now you find me and Charlie, I'm just talking to him about the early years of the company and indeed his early years. In the background you'll hear clanging and banging because he has a very busy family home. We're in the epicentre which is his kitchen so there are people cooking, dogs coming and going and people chatting but all I can say is in front of that log fire with two gin and tonics in our hands it felt like a very good place to be. Enjoy. Well, Dracot Diaries is going explosive because I am sitting next to Charlie. One of the reasons that I've been wanting to meet up with you for a while, our mutual friend is, is a lovely nurse who is your partner who works at the medical centre. And she's put us in contact together because I just was so excited when she told me about the kind of work you do. But I think we're going to go right back to the beginning. Can you tell me a little bit, first of all, about how you have ended up here? Yes, yeah, so I was born in Seven Oaks in Kent. I always knew what I wanted to do. Which was what? Explosives. Were you blowing things up at home? Yeah, I can't ever remember a time when I wasn't trying to blow things up. Was this a worry to your parents? There was a fair bit of encouragement, actually. I had a father who was in the army who used to not be too against. In fact, he did buy me my first container of a chemical that I really, really wanted. I think I was still in single numbers at the time. But it's long before the internet, so you, it wasn't as easy. It took a lot more study, so you had to read to make it do anything interesting. But then as time went on, I think they did get a little bit concerned sometimes about you know where it was all going to end up. And was there ever an example <clears throat> of a, a toy that blew up or...? I mean, how were you, um, at that tender age, how were you using the items that we've been talking about? The, any of the chemicals that you'd need were always very, very difficult to get. So you would, and I, you know, obviously had no money, so you would cover your chemicals. So everything was very, always very small, which I think is the one thing that kept me alive, perhaps. And chemistry, obviously, in the early, early times at school, it was, you know, chemistry was my sub, you know, I loved it. Because chemistry is where, fireworks and explosives and all originate people asking me what I you know, ended up doing that I knew from school and it's always they're never surprised that I've ended up doing what I'm doing now because your <coughs> job title is uh, I guess technically explosives engineer okay and did you go on to do it you know at uni or anything like that or did you then go and learn it from life no, I actually so went because I just it seemed like it was too difficult to get a job you know, because obviously there's quite a few people who want to do it and it's quite hard to get work. Because I do have another interest, you know, I like engineering, I like, you know, making stuff. So I actually did engineering at college and so went into basically being, an en you know, doing engineering. And then 
didn't really know what I wanted to do. I have a friend, you know, in fact, my oldest friend, the only person I've known in my entire life, Tom, and he was living in a caravan of all things on uh, a friend's field. We were sat around a campfire and he just said to me, do you know what, why don't you just start a pyrotechnics company? And I thought, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And, and then it was a five years, which was very hard. We made absolutely no money whatsoever. And where were you <clears> doing it? I was doing it at Wedmore. Oh, OK. And did I, am I right, Charlie, that I know that you don't do fireworks now, and I can't almost sense the fireworks is a bit of a dirty word now, but did you, when you started this company um, with this group of oddballs, was fireworks one of the things that you did at the beginning when you first started? Yes, we the first started out in fireworks. That was your plan. Relatively, not hugely, I wouldn't say successful, but it was, you've got a lot of material costs in fireworks, and to build a business is quite difficult. Why? Because there's so many other people doing <clears throat> yeah, it. Yeah, there's massive competition, so there's lots of other companies that you're up against. And the really big contracts, you know, the really exciting ones, are all up against people that have got the big reputations. And so it's very difficult. Although we did, you know, we did the wedding scene, so we did a lot of those, and some fairly big displays. It was always, you know, I liked it, it was interesting. It was at the fun days, when, you know, life wasn't so serious. You didn't have so many people's wages that need to be paid every month. It was good fun. But yes, and then we quickly moved into explosives. And then I met a guy, a guy called Malcolm Ingrey, who has worked for Xchem Explosives, which is one of the big quarrying. They make all the big bulk explosives for quarries and all that kind of stuff, who is himself quite an interesting character. But I met him completely by accident, and he had just done the... He or his or Xchem had been asked to supply explosives to Saving Private Ryan, and so he had just done that. I mean, he's in his seventies now, but I met him. So, and he's a very likable, good old boy who did the where he started life out running ponies in coal mines at fourteen, and he just liked by everybody, and the film industry liked him, and so they kept wanting him, kept hiring him from this big explosives company, Xchem, and. He got to know all the special... He was also into demolition. He was, was heavily involved in high-rise demolition. and was one of the big, sort of, well-known characters, but with absolutely no ego whatsoever um, in the sort of explosives world. And I, basically, I met him, and we got on really, really well. And um, I went in on his coattails, really, into the, and then he introduced me, firstly, to the film industry. And then I sort of got on quite well with the, I think, I hope, uh, the film special effects supervisors. And then as Malcolm started, you know, was getting, obviously getting older, and although he's still not retired, he was getting less and less involved. And then we kind of, I sort of took his place a little bit, if that makes sense. And that's how I got into the film industry. That's interesting because I guess you could have <clears throat> gone into explosives with stone you know work and as you said there will always be work blowing down buildings but the film industry because you were said as a, from whence you were a kid you wanted to do explosives but from whence you were a kid was it films or did the films think because of your contact with this guy is that what drew you in that direction yeah I mean it's it's obviously exciting so it's got the um, you can't help but be interested and it's technically challenging yeah. because you're using real high explosives around really big actors it's 
a lot easier to kill someone with explosives than it is to do a massive explosion that somebody stood right next to and not harm them in any way whatsoever. You know, it's technically quite challenging. And that's the real interest, is the, what the technically challenging, making explosives do things, bending it to your will, so you make it do what you want it to do, and not anything else. So it's the, you know, I kind of always see high explosives like a big cat, you know, like a lion or a tiger. And there's always the danger you get too close to the bars that the paw can come out and get you. And so it's, it's being able to, in a way, control it and make it do, like I said earlier, exactly what you want it to do. And also, you, the word trust sounds to me like a big thing here, because especially, I mean, I think you've said you've worked with you know, actors on many, many big, big Hollywood stars, including people like Tom Cruise, but who obviously are worth millions and millions. But you have got to know, if you're standing Tom next to Tom Cruise with something that you're about to explode, you're going to need to know it's 100% going to work. So you're going to have had to have tested that again and again and again, I'm assuming, before you're in that situation. Yes, there's masses and masses of testing that goes on. So you know you have a good idea of exactly what is going to happen when you you know get to the stage. Of what happens on something, because I know that you, you did some, uh, some of the pyrotechnics, is that the right word, on 1917? Yeah, so the, our role on the 1917... So the special effects team is a massive... And we have the, the special effects supervisor who runs the special effects teams. Obviously, the special effects involve a whole range of different rain, atmospherics, all kinds of really complicated rigs and pyrotechnics. But generally, we'll get involved in the high... You know, when they want to really... Turn, for example, with something like 1917, where you want big explosions you need to have, you know, the only way to actually recreate that is to actually use real high explosives. And in quite a lot of the bangs in 1917, there was actually more high explosives in the in the effects bangs than there was in the actual artillery shells that were being fired. We got through hundreds of kilos wow. of basically like a modern version of dynamite. And it was filmed in a slightly different way, wasn't it? Because it was all filmed in long takes. So did yeah. that make any difference to the sort of work? That yeah, you, it does, you know, because it's a lot. You know, if, uh, with the long take, we've got lots of stuff going on. Is the amount you've got a long time where everything's got to go absolutely perfectly. You know, no one needs to slip over. You know, everything has to. So there was, yeah, there was a few goes at some of the to get those nice long takes. There was that very iconic scene with the plane crash with the German. Coming down, that was part of something that you were involved in, wasn't it? Yeah, so we did the long... There was a couple of long... Where, uh, the main actor's running, and he runs along the sort of trench line. There's loads and loads of explosions all happening. So that was a lot of our... You know, that was quite a complicated shot. And that was done in one long take? Yeah, one long it? take. How many minutes was that about? Whew, do you know what? I can't remember. I'd have to watch the film. I haven't actually watched the film. Have you not? No, I haven't. Oh, it's terrible. Nice. Really? I haven't watched loads of the films recently that we've done. So, it, 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 you know, I think it was maybe a couple of minutes, but I would have to... You have to know. watch the film? Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Actually, the one doesn't always, you know, you've got, you're almost sick to death of it, really, by the time... You, so you do you go to the premieres and stuff? No, or do you, I just your job. Your so job? we get to go to a crew showing. You know, oh, you if do? If we're okay. lucky, yeah. But we don't get, definitely don't get to the premiere. We're much too low down the pecking no, order no for that. get no carpet treatment. <laughs> But um, if memory serves as well as that, you also, uh, just another small movie you've worked on, probably nobody's heard of, Star Wars. Um, what, what happens to something like that? Because that's got to be a challenge, because that's, 
I mean, to be quite honest, I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, but it seems to me that there's quite a lot of uh, different types of effects in that. Yeah, so obviously you've got the special effects crew. It's not us that do the special effects. No. We get called in by... Because it's actually the same special effects supervisor that did 1917, mm. that did the, the most recent Star Wars movie, Dominic Tui. So he gets us in to do our bit, you know, once... So we facilitate. So we did the, that, the most recent... We've done all the Star Wars movies, but the most recent one that came out last Christmas... The sequence that we were involved in was shot in Jordan. So we've got to go to Jordan, we've got to organise high explosives. So you're in the areas where the, obviously the security of high explosives is quite taken quite seriously because obviously you don't need anything to go missing. So it is real, not pyrotechnics, it's real explosives. Okay. So there's always quite a lot of groundwork because we need to get all the right paperwork in place. And we quite often be quite heavily involved in the facilitating of the license and the dealing with the high explosive side of it. The film production are you know, massively helpful. There's obviously all of that because we need the high explosives there, and we and then we were there, I think, for six weeks doing. Can I just this. get back on that as well? Because I know having travelled a lot with film crews, you seem to take endless kind of boxes and stuff, and that that is hard enough. What is it like taking to somewhere like Jordan where you're, you know, you're going on flights with uh, that amount of explosives? Well, right? we're not taking the explosives. We'll always find... So every, pretty much every single... Every country has to have roads. Okay. There I don't think there's any countries that haven't got roads that don't need plasterboard, concrete. So all the raw materials that build infrastructure are pretty much blown out the ground. So in every country there, is, ah, there are explosives. I see what you're saying. Okay. So you can always buy explosives. And it is... Depending on the country, it is to a greater or lesser degree how much paperwork's involved. And quite often we actually have to, like in Jordan, we had the military heavily involved, so they you know, supported the film really well. And obviously because there's a lot of films, you know, Gulf War type, sandy places, where quite a lot of films, action movies are based, we, you know, so we have to, you know, you get the hang of doing it. And we use... And in most sort of Middle Eastern countries, the police or the army will be, the military will be heavily involved and they'll actually guard the explosives and then they, I guess, issue it to us and make sure that we use what we've said we've used and it's all... Um, but everybody's very friendly and everybody's, you know, we actually have a lot of fun. We've done quite a lot of movies where the, the guys that are policing us, so the, the authorities... Uh, quite often you couldn't have done it if they weren't there because they've ended up pitching in and helping out. We did one in Northern Ireland and the PSNI, which is the police service Northern Ireland, were only there to guard the explosives. We were a bit short on crew and I'll tell you what, we wouldn't have done it without them. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but do you get, I mean, if anybody's sitting at home having a cup of coffee with their, where they're and their biscuit this morning, we're thinking, oh, wow, that sounds great, lots of travel. Is it, is it you know, obviously, the, I hate that word glamour because it's been thrown at me, but did you used to get, because you, you do less travelling now, but did you used to get pretty fed up with the travelling? I did, you know, when I was young and single, it was really good fun because it's, you know, back to the hotel, beers, live hard, play hard, yeah. work hard. So your workshop is out on almost Somerset Moors, but you've also got... If I'm right, you've got a mine down in Cornwall. Yeah, so we have an underground test facility in Cornwall, 
and also you know we do a lot of climactic vibration testing and that's more on the defense aerospace side then we have Ashcott which is the main engineering to have machine shops and in the on the Cheddarmore we have the explosives which is slightly controversial sometimes with the some of the locals but the we why have what's the concern noise you know sometimes you know we when we're doing any sort of testing those sort of activities can be sometimes a little problematic or we try, we, but we try to manage it you know as best we can I do think <laughs> I remember not that long ago maybe it wasn't you guys but I do remember one day I was putting out my washing and something shuddered yeah so we do quite a lot of disposal of munitions so redundant stuff that's either gone past its gone out of date or is no longer required which is quite a lot of military materials get mostly dismantled and the explosives is extracted and you know the explosives are disposed of and that's all done within specialist funded big earth banks because you always there is always you always assume that the worst is going to happen and I think a few weeks ago there was a something went bang which wasn't a planned bang but it wasn't it wasn't didn't present it wasn't a dangerous bang no it wasn't a dangerous I mean, we, but it, it was it, a big bang possibly a bigger bang yeah then. it was a bigger bang and it's it for us it kind of because we spend a lot of money on the big all the protection and so it, it sometimes isn't I mean, the neighbours might not agree with me, but the, it does vindicate the fact that that we've you know you spent all that money on big earth banks and proper protection and remote systems of work, and it it's not satisfying exactly. But you do think, do you know what? It's, that's why we do it. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, for us, apart from the noise, it's a non-event. It's nothing. It's a, yeah. just a well. That's why we do it. And I think <clears> that's why my washing line just shook a little. Yeah. And that was fine, it just made it a little bit more exciting. But talking about Big Bangs, Charlie, am I right that um, the, the Guinness Book of Records have been tapping on your door? Well, the, yeah, so we've got the, that bit. I don't know I don't know whether we can say that because the film's not out. So the, but we have got the world record for the biggest... Yeah, so we did a, on Spectre, we did... The, this is James Bond. Yes, yeah, so it's James Bond. So on the Spectre film, we did the biggest world... Guinness Book of World Records for the biggest... Stunt explosion. So we had, um, I can't remember the actor's name. Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. Yeah, so Daniel, yeah, we actually had Daniel Craig in the shot. We we were in Morocco, so we had a whole desert. And I could big it all up and say, you know, we did all the, but it was literally myself and Mr. Tumnus were um, looking at and thinking, you know, we're in the Moroccan desert. So we thought, I wonder if there's a world record. So we actually looked it up, literally just Googled it and said, world record, biggest stunt explosion in cinematic you know, history, whatever, and found the world record and thought, do you know what, we're in the desert. And Daniel's was miles away, so he wasn't anywhere near it, so you could just go absolutely mental. And then we literally just did the world. And then we emailed or texted Chris, who was a special effects supervisor, Chris Corbold, and said... Chris, we've just looked at the world record for the biggest stunt explosion and we reckon we can easily beat it because we've got this massive desert. And so you know, a few minutes later, a little text message came back from Chris saying, interesting, I think we should probably go for it. And then obviously Chris spoke to you know production and you know did it all and then 
you know, we had a desert, massive, huge desert. So we just, it would, it, I, I would be lying if I said any other way than the fact that we could just, we had an endless space, endless safety distance. And we still could get where Daniel, where the shop was going to be taken from, we could get him in it. And so we just went for it. And it was, it was, it was for a lot of fun. And it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't too hard, a, a challenge to actually beat it. So yeah. So what what is the what is the feeling amongst you and the team when you do something like that? Is it oh thank goodness it went all right? I'm using my language temperately here, but or or is it just do you go get in or do you go oh blimey? Well, you do. Um, You've got to. If you did the biggest explosion possibly that's going to go into the Guinness yeah, so the records. Was, and Daniel Craig is in the far distance and you've given it the biggest well you can, you're going to feel some sort of emotion. Oh, yeah, it was, very, it was, it was really much Because Daniel Craig knew that he was, what it was, it was going to be the world records. Yeah. And he was, you know, obviously I don't, I, you know, if Daniel Craig walked past me in the street, wouldn't know me from Adam. Although I've done quite a few works on help for special effects. I guys. do realise yeah. Tom Cruise and everyone is not going to wander in. No, in but he did, he, he had clearly worked out who was who. Oh. And then so he did, as soon as we did it and everyone, you know, all the high-fiving and clapping and going, mm. he did come over and shake my hand. And he shook my hand, he shook Tom's, he shook all of our, our the event horizon, Little there was three of us out there, and he shook each one of our hands. Which was quite nice. Didn't know who we were. Please did come and shake our hands. We're not going to go into detail about it, Charlie, for, for obvious reasons, but you do quite a lot of work, I believe, anyway, for the military, don't you? But Yeah, so we do mostly the type of work that's trying to get you into somewhere or get through something, trying not to hurt anyone on the other side, which is a big challenge with explosives. It's a lot of energy that gets released very, very quickly, and so things tend to fly about and so it's it is actually very interesting but explosives are very good at breaking things it's getting them to do what you want them to do but without doing any anything else so is it as exciting as the film I find it actually very exciting it's very very difficult yeah and seems to me it's come a long way from the Charlie as the child with the tiny little bit about explosives it became very easy to make a very big bang and then I got much, much more interested in bending the explosives to my will. So I want, you know, I wanted to do interesting things. Mm. When you release energy that fast, yeah. you can, certainly like metals, you can make them do things that they can't, you can't do any other way. Mm. So you can apply forces that are so massive that you, won't, you don't find them. And I got very interested in the science of explosives. Uh, Charlie, let's just bring it a little bit closer to home because we are both Draycott Cheddar people and... Um, and Moore's people. Um, you've done a couple of things for the local area, haven't you? What, there's something that you do in Cheddar, is it at Christmas? Oh, yes, we always do the, we do the firework. We fire a big firework off the church steeple. Was this on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day? No, it's the Christmas, the beginning of the Christmas. Uh, oh, is it the, the Christmas what, festive night? Festive, yeah, the festive period. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Beginning yeah, so we, of the yeah. festive period. So we always climb up to the top of the church spire and launch something off the top. Mm. At what time? Well, it's supposed to be... Well, the vicar always Yes, yeah, so wasn't says, there some discrepancy with Rev yes. Burns? <laughs> there was. So, we, yeah, so my understanding is it's bang on six o'clock. And so the last few times, I think it's happened twice, where we've done it bang on six o'clock and then come back down, and the vicar said it's too early, and the, the congregation wasn't outside to see the fireworks. So it's either, you know, 
to me, what we need to clear up is either A, it's at six o'clock, or B, it's when the congregation have come out from the thing and we do it there. It's not that somebody's, you're obviously doing it accurately from, from your digital phone. Is it possible that somebody's watch is running a little bit fast? No, because we're something? running on the church clock. No, I'm going. I'm, yeah. Oh, yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah, we're not talking about any sort of computerised firing system here. It's one firework that we'd like to fuse on. That's so, that is so country, isn't it? Yes, we want it exactly six o'clock, but we do want everybody outside to see it at six o'clock. Yeah, that's it. I think you can't have, we need to clear it up. I think perhaps we need a radio. I think. So we'll have a radio on a the radio. church. A radio, yeah, of course. I, I live, I live and die by my radio. Well, um, it's a two-way radio so that the vicar can give us the heads up and say, okay, fire, fire, fire. And yeah. We'll fire, fire, fire and launch it. I will mention this. He was very kind to do a podcast and he was very... He's very enlightening in his podcast. Yeah. So next time I see Reverend Burns, um, I'm allowed to call him Stuart. Mm. I will I'll just maybe mention that. Um, but you also do something in Wedmore? Because that's. Yes, was... We do the Wedmore Young Farmers fireworks display. Okay. So that's the, 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 only, the, the only real. And then we do the Mendip Shooting Ground fireworks display. Okay. So they're the only ones that we. And they're a kind of hobby. Mm. Just sort of keep your hand in sort of stuff. Yeah, and also a lot of these podcasts which are, I'm doing for the community. It, it, isn't it a little bit about giving back to the community a little bit? Yeah, it's a, it, it is. I mean, we do the old church spy one for, you know, for buns. And if you have been making people's washing occasionally, waver. Probably a nice way to put things back. Um, Charlie, we're just gonna we're gonna wrap up in a minute because I've taken up far too much of your time, and I just love talking to you. I could talk to you all night. When I arrived at your at your homestead earlier on, and your your very kind partner opened the door to me, there is a bomb. Is that right? Standing by your front door. Yeah, the BL seven five five cluster bomb, <laughs> which I might just say at this point that it's, it's you know it's been completely stripped out. It's just a a casing. It just seemed an interesting greeting to your friends and relatives that they arrived, that there is a cluster bomb. I was saying to your partner, Naomi, that in fact I thought it was your central heating boiler and that you just hadn't boxed it in yet. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's definitely not a central heating boiler. No, no. That would, that would warm <clears throat> your house up pretty quickly if it was still it intact. Would, yes, it's a, not, it was never a particularly pleasant type of bomb, that one. Was it not? What war was that used in? I believe the BL-755 was used in the Falklands War. Oh, of course, it's quite And then the modern variant of it that had the same submunitions was used in the Gulf War. Okay. But it's, a, it's, it's for blowing up runways. Okay. And it's, uh, yeah, not... not, not, not yeah, it wasn't. Where did you get that from? It was, there was two of them that were sent down to us for basically to break them down. And So at least the one thing is that it never got dropped on anyone. Oh, that's nice. We took all its bits out. And it's ended up in your front Yeah, room. made it into a nice little bit of furniture. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie, thank you so much on behalf of Draycott Diaries. I mean, it just, it's just really insightful talking to you. And as I said, my brush with whatever effects I've done in my career is minute compared to what you've done. And I just, you know, I just hope that things continue. What is the future for the company? Where do you see it going? Where, if we're sitting here in five years' time, what Well, do I don't really, uh, ideally, not to get too much bigger, because mm. it's still like a family, mm. you know, it's all good fun. We all socialise together, and it's it's very very busy. You know, there's a lot of work, so it's. Well, I don't know. We'll have to see. Try try not to get too much bigger. You don't want to lose the fun factor. 
Thank you. I've had a lovely gin and tonic while I've been talking to Charlie. So I thank Naomi for your lovely hospitality, your partner. And, and Charlie, thank you so much for talking to me yeah, today. It's a pleasure. You've just been listening to Draycott Diaries, recorded by me, Tiki Trathawan. The programme was edited by Jeff Farney and the music was arranged by Hugh Trathawan. We are now available on all podcast platforms, so please keep listening. <laughs>